0: Welcome to Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. I'm Jason Gilliken, producer of this podcast and occasional host. What I wanna share with you today is a new podcast brought to you by the Diversity Movement called If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. Dr. Debbie has partnered with the Diversity Movement to bring her expertise in race and sports. She's a professor, an entrepreneur, an activist, a phenomenal host, and we're proud to have her on the Diversity Movement team. Right now, there are four episodes out of If You Only Knew, and we release episodes every Thursday. We'll put all the information in the show notes so you can subscribe and listen to Dr. Debbie's interviews with some of the most influential people at the intersection of race and sports. Attorney and agent Felicia Hall-Allen, grassroots basketball legend Gary Charles, the ACC's Mary McElroy, LSU women's basketball head coach Nikki Fargus, and DePaul men's basketball coach Dave Lado have been on the show so far. These episodes touch on social unrest, the challenges of minority athletes, activism, and what we can all do to be part of the solution. And in this episode that we're sharing today, we learn more about Dr. Debbie as she asked on one of her former students, Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network, to interview her so we can hear more about her mission and why she's starting this podcast.
1: Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where professor and entrepreneur Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders in athletics. If you're interested in diversity and inclusion conversations, or if you just want to be inspired by the success that Dr. Debbie and our guests have achieved, be sure to subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's get to the first episode where NFL Network host Bucky Brooks interviews Dr. Debbie so we can learn more about her, her mission, and what this podcast is all about.
2: You're listening to If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. I am so, so blessed and honored to have Bucky Brooks. Yes, the Bucky Brooks from UNC Tar Heel, but also from the NFL Network. And Bucky and I are gonna have a conversation. And actually the light is gonna be spun back to me because I think if you only knew what Dr. Debbie Stroman is a great way to meet some wonderful people from all across the country. In fact, all across the world who have interesting stories. But today we're going to have you hear my take, my perspective. Welcome Bucky.
3: Hey, thanks so much for having me on Dr. Stroman. This is, um a fantastic opportunity, like I've I've known you obviously, but a chance to really get down and really know how you've become the person that you become and how you become one of the most impactful influencers when it comes to young people and those when it comes to race and sports. And so I'm excited to kind of take the mic from you and put it in front of your face and have you kind of tell stories. And so I kind of want to start off because I would like to really understand your, your background and where you come from. I know athletics has been a big part of your life, but just kind of walk us back to how you got to this place using mm-hmm. athletics.
2: Well, thank you for that. Because as you know, you know, it starts as a youngster, you know, being an athlete. I came out of the womb as an athlete. You know, I was playing every type of sport possible. And uh, to this day, I would say kickball is still my favorite sport. Ah, uh, but I love it. Yeah, I, I was balling, playing football, playing basketball, uh, softball. Uh, in fact, in school, going from elementary to high school on a formal team, I played basketball. I played softball. I did a little track and field. I even tried field hockey for a little bit. Was a football manager in high school. So that's why I still in terms of observation and watching sport, I love football the most. And then when I got to UNC, as a graduate student at Chapel Hill, I was actually on the lacrosse team. And this lacrosse team became officially the varsity lacrosse team. Because when you grow up outside of Philadelphia, lacrosse is big. And I was busy with my other sports, but I've always loved that sport. And so yeah, it started as a young age, just being out there competing. And you know, we had a wonderful neighborhood, and all the kids would get out and play. And I was definitely one of the ones out there.
3: You know, because you, we always hear about the lessons that uh, athletes are able to learn from sports and how they can apply them in their lives post-playing career. Uh, but for young ladies, playing sports and participating in athletics is very, very beneficial. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you learned from participating in athletics that helped you become very, very successful?
2: Well, the biggest one is being a competitor. And you know as an athlete, when you have that competitive spirit, you don't quit easily. And so I persevere, I persevere, and continue until all possibilities have been exhausted. And I think that's a big part of my life now. I like to say I'm not that competitive, but my friends, family say, oh no, you are very competitive. You like to win at everything. (laughs) I would say the other thing is teamwork. You know, being blessed with athletic gifts oftentimes it's very easy for me to spot someone who's not as talented and not as gifted. And so I believe in team. And so even as a youngster, when I was usually one of the captains to start the football game or basketball game or whatever, I would oftentimes pick someone to be on my team early on who wasn't as skilled and still talking smack as in we're still gonna be, (laughs) right? Uh, I believe in teamwork. I believe in everybody has a, has a role to play when you talk about a winning organization. And I think that's, that, those are the two biggest, I would say teamwork and just being competitive and never quitting.
3: You know, because you were able to take your experience in athletics and then go into the business world, I am not surprised that the traits that or the lessons that you said you learned from athletics were things that consisted around competitiveness and teamwork. Because in business, a lot of it is about understanding that there's a bottom line, there's a result, they keep a scoreboard in some way, shape, or fashion. And then teamwork, can you find a way to cooperate with your, your business partners or leaders or salespeople, staff, or whoever that is in business that you get along with? And so in, in thinking about that, because we are at a, I want won't say like, I would say a major turn in history where we're seeing the rising of so many groups. We're seeing minorities have bigger voices. Within that minority, we're seeing women and young ladies have bigger voices, not only in athletics, but also in the business world. When you think about all of those lessons and the things, are you surprised that now we're at this moment where people feel empowered to utilize their voice and really show that their skills are applicable in any form of life?
2: Well, I think the power of media you know, it tells the stories, it, it creates the narratives, it reinforces narratives. And one of the narratives out there is that the country has been awakened. And I'm talking about racial matters with the George Floyd a murder. But people have been protesting, people have been working towards racial justice for social justice for centuries. You know, whenever you have a dynamic, when people come together, this is my belief, that there's a group of people who wanna have control. And they want to influence, and they want to call all the shots. And then the rest of the people, some just fall right in line, and others say, no, there's a better way. We need shared governance. We need shared resources. And so there's always been pushback. But with the media today, and again, the advances of technology, we can shine the light on the WNBA and what they're doing. We can shine the light now on a Venus Williams who fought for pay equity in women's tennis. You know, We can shine a light on you know, the various athletes, the various coaches and administrators who are lifting up their voice, uh, but it's always been happening. And I'm glad that we have the technology now and the ability to create our own stories, right? We've got the Players' Tribune. We have uh, folks in the athletic world who have money, who are now creating their own media platforms. You don't need to wait for traditional media to tell your story and to tell your truth. And because of that, now traditional media is trying to respond and hiring us, people who look like us. Uh, They're trying to be a part of this. But definitely the movement is here. And I'm very, very glad to be a part of it.
3: You know, it's interesting because you are uh, a part of what I would say a very influential place to me, University of North Carolina. And you talk about activism and activism with athletes, speaking to the social issues. I can remember taking a class, a political science class at Carolina, and we openly discussed, I discussed the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, and the protests with John Carlos and Tommy Smith, and the the demonstration that they made on the podium, and how that movement was fueled by Harry Edwards. Recent years, I would say like during my time in school in the 90s, athletes weren't expected to be activists. It was a push, it was the urge, we need you to utilize your voice. What do you think has shifted where athletes are now more comfortable being in that role where they speak to the issues that they've experienced in their own communities?
2: Well, there's no doubt that influencers make a difference for young people. And I think there was a period of time where you had prominent athletes like Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Arthur Ashe, you know, people who the spotlight was on them and they were taking the time to use their platform. And so we had civil rights, we had protests going on, but you saw, you know, a lot of young people in that space. And I don't know if we had an absence, you know, whether it was the seventies or eighties, but I don't recall many prominent athletes who were black or brown, who had that microphone and who were being very vocal and media was following them. Cause that's a big part of it. The media has to give you the spotlight, but today, Talking about influencers, there are so many to choose from. If you're a young girl, you can look at Maya Moore, who sacrificed in the middle of her prime, her productivity. She said, you know what? I'm going to stop because basketball doesn't mean more than humanity. And she worked towards racial justice. If you're a guy, I mean, there's so many to choose from. But you know, one person that I lift up even more than his basketball abilities is LeBron James and what he's done. And so today, I think the young athletes, the college athletes have people that they can point to and they're given tools. They're given tools because we have smartphones. We have our own accounts on social media. Uh, We're learning how to connect with people through LinkedIn and using different ways that we can connect and get information. So the young athletes are much more, they're bolder. Now, are they where we need them to be in terms of their own survival and thriving? No, but we definitely see many more of them are coming together and saying, hey, I have something to say, or I want to take a position on this.
3: You know, you brought up two points and two initiatives that I think are very, very important in the community. One, when you talk about Maya Moore, criminal justice reform, because we all have been impacted by typically having someone within our family or extended family that has been a part of the system. The second part is voting rights and that initiative and just trying to understand how important it is. So I want to tackle criminal justice first. Uh, When you see Amaya Moore speak on some of the things that we may say are inherently wrong with the system, where do you think not only the courage to talk about it, but the knowledge and wisdom to provide an educated perspective come from? and how can we get our young people to really know more about those issues?
2: Well, there's no doubt that when a microphone is put in front of you, you have an opportunity to share your truth and lift up other folks in terms of what they're saying about the matter. What gets dangerous is when you have a prominent athlete, coach, administrator who speaks and has the nation's attention and they don't have the correct knowledge, they don't have the information And so I'm glad that they have the microphone, but I continue to hope that more of our most powerful, influential folks in racial and social justice will say, this is what I know. And if you want to know more, you need to call this person. You need to go to this website. You need to look at this data that's being produced. Because what people will do who are working against change, who are working against racial justice, will try to make that person seem like they're dumb. They'll try to embarrass them. They'll try to trick them with some research that may or may not be true. And so I'm hoping that more influencers will say, I'm not an expert on this, but this is my truth. And here's someone that you should speak to. Now, there's lots of education and research around this. I'm very excited to be a part of the advancement of Blacks in sports. It's a new organization that's been formed that's going to do just that. It's gonna provide education. It's gonna provide the data from top scholars from all across our country who are speaking to this inequity, to the disparities that are happening. Uh, But I'm encouraged on college campuses today. Now we're seeing more courses being offered. There are some very bold senior leaders at universities, for example, Georgetown, uh, some other universities that are saying, this is mandatory now. If you're a first year student, you need to know this because we're all a part of this. And the education is so needed. I'm not here to pick on K through 12, but we know it's a challenge, especially in this space around race and racism. We have to do more work in this space so that we can have more healing, we can have collaborative decision-making, that we can advance as a people, as a nation.
3: You know, it's it's funny because you talk about education and people having basically what I took from that mentor course. If I want to be active in the community, I want to shed the light on things that are near and dear to me. I need to seek out mentors to be able to help. It appears that LeBron James has certainly sought out enough mentors to kind of help him drive this voter registration push that he is uh, really focused on. When you're around campus and you see young people, because young people 18 or older have the right to vote, do you believe that the tide is turning where they're understanding their power and their influence just by electing to use their right to vote?
2: There is no doubt they've become aware and they are working for change. And I'm not here to paint, you know, one side, whether you're red or you're blue, but the idea is civic engagement and that's happening for sure. You know, we need more critical thinking, more critical analysis in terms of what are the topics? What are the concerns that matter? You know, I don't think anybody should be against environmental justice, right? That affects everybody. But isn't it sad that, you know, we can, go to almost any place in our country and purchase unleaded gas. But yet there are communities in our country that don't have unleaded water. Mm-hmm. So this is an example of things where it shouldn't matter what your political party is. Uh, there are things that require young people to pay attention. And yes, it is happening in a big way. And again, the power of the media, social media. Now we can know what's going on you know, across the world and get involved with that and be supportive
3: and help. You know, it's funny that you bring it up in terms of like young people paying attention and being aware. To bring you back to the sports world because you have coached, you obviously play basketball at University of Virginia. What impact should coaches have on educating their players to engage in matters that extend beyond athletics?
2: Well, the reason why, and we're talking college right now, the reason why we have physical education, why we have sports on our college campuses, because way back when, they were considered instructors. They are teaching the physical education because we know it's about mind, body, and soul. And you have to have the body in tune, in shape, so that it can hear, it can listen, it can think properly. And so coaches are educators. But somewhere along the way, you know, the competitive side, maybe the uh, the commercialization, we've moved into having coaches who don't do anything else on campus but take care of their particular sports team, and we're definitely seeing that in K through 12. But I think that your role, and especially when parents and guardians and grandparents are handing off their young people to you, you're that surrogate parent. And so you have to educate not only the X's and O's, not only how to make your body quicker, faster, and stronger, but also the mind, as in doing your best to make sure there's education around various topics that will affect them, not when they're 22 years old, but when they're 32 and when they're 52. And because of the power of the coach, when the coach says take that course or consider this or bring in their own speakers, the athletes will be much more loyal to that they'll participate, they'll show up. And so I think coaches have a lot of power. And of course, when we think about power five, if they don't have positional power, they have financial power, right? As we know, there are a lot of coaches across the country who are making the highest amount of money in the state. They're the highest paid employee in the state. And so that power in itself will lend itself to being more influential with their athletes and their education.
3: You know, it's funny because this period that we've been in, Uh, the pandemic, the fallout from George Floyd, we've seen, in essence, a crumbling of the college sports system. We have seen that without certain sports that the university is not able to necessarily function in certain capacities, it can't fund other sports. And so when you think about the racial demographics of the sports that are the revenue sports, basketball and football, you're seeing that black and brown bodies are really upholding the athletics. Yet the coaches, don't necessarily look like them. And so when you think about their relationship and you think about the recruiting process and how these coaches go into these living rooms and talk about being father figures and the like, should we put more on our coaches from an expectation of developing well-rounded people as opposed to just athletes?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Not only from the perspective of them being that surrogate parent away and you have a responsibility, but also just thinking about the optics of it all. You're exactly right, the data set that brown and black young men, 18 to what, 22, 23 years old, are funding non-revenue sports. And some people like to call them country club sports, the golf, the tennis. They're being funded off of the backs, off of the labor of young black men. That's the truth. And so what can we do to make sure we have shared resources, shared power, and so that we can empower these young men to have more of the college holistic experience. Now, some people would argue, well, you know, they're getting a scholarship. The compensation has to be in a currency that they value. And when you are thinking about the NBA or the NFL, because many of them have those type of gifts, not that they'll all make it, we know the numbers, that they won't. But they're 18, 20 years old and their mind is right there. Can I be a pro athlete? And so to say that taking this physics course or taking this American history course is going to be a priority, that's absurd. They'll go to the course and they'll try their best, but their bodies are tired, their minds are tired. And so we can't expect them to be 100% present. Now, do we have many who do a good job? Absolutely, we've got scholar athletes, but I'm talking about the collective. And so how about giving them a currency where when they're 25 years old or 45 years old or 65 years old, when they can have that education and they can do all those things that don't cost them a cent. And now I know there are programs out there who say we do that now. I've, let's just say I've got, I've done my homework and it's not as easy as it appears to be a part of those programs. Athletic departments make it very difficult. Yes, I'm saying this. Athletic departments make it very difficult for those alumni athletes to come back and participate in the education process. And so yes, coaches need to step up in this space. They need to do more, they can do more. And you know, I'm encouraged by some coaches who are now taking, uh, they're being educated themselves in this space. And so we have a long way to go, but I do stay encouraged.
3: Along that topic, you penned something that was very interesting to me when I read it. You wrote The Ultimate Guide to Selecting an Historically White College University for an Elite Black Athlete. And in this piece, you touched on a few different things that resonated with me. You encouraged young athletes to go and do their own research, separate and apart from the experience that they may have on recruiting weekend, to see if they are people of color in prominent roles in administration. There are people of color in prominent roles on campus to talk to professors. Can you expand a little bit on what you wrote and what you found and why it's so important for young people to make an educated decision when they choose to go to college?
2: Your college experience, that can really send you in a particular way, certain trajectory. So you have to take it serious. And I'm not saying that they don't, but oftentimes the focus is like 80-20 on athletics. And so it's important to have role models, to see people that look like you. This is K through 12, but it's applicable all over. I think it's about 50% of young people in our K through 12 are black, person of color. And there's less than 2% of teachers who are black males. That's powerful, that's powerful. And I know athletics is built, it's designed to be, you know, your one-stop shop for everything. But we know that is a terrible, terrible, poor model. Because when you get out into the real world, you can't think that this one institution where you're employed is going to be everything for you. So the athletic department will have all the bells and whistles, you know, in terms of look how many uh, uniforms you get. Look at the Nikes mm-hmm. or the whatever shoes that you get. Look at the meals, you, know, you get a five, quart, you know, five different vegetables to choose from and three different meat choices, all of that. That's attractive, again, for a 20 year old, a 17 year old. But what's the bigger picture? What are the professors that will be available to speak to you when things get rough or you lose a loved one back home? And you don't wanna see anybody in athletics because you, know, you had to practice or you had to do this game or whatever because of the pressures and you're still mourning. Who's gonna open up your eyes in terms of some subjects? Who are the alumni that you have access to and to speak to? Not that they're gonna be there to try and get something free from you, but there are caring alumni at universities who wanna help our young men and women. And they don't want anything. In fact, they're successful in their own right. They don't need any tickets. But we just have this mentality of us versus them building walls and our athletes don't get the full experience of college. And so, yes, it's important. It's important to look at the big picture.
3: Yeah, it's funny. You, you, once again, you touched on something that means a lot to me. You talked about K through 12. The research said 50% will be people of kids of color, but only 2% are black male teachers. As someone who grew up wanting to be a teacher, because my 10th grade teacher, Miss Watson, a black lady, my English teacher, she encouraged me to teach because she said that there is a void. So now when I think about what you talked about, Coaches were originally PE instructors who were supposed to be educators using the grass or the hardwood as their classroom. When I see the lack or the disparity amongst white and black and brown coaches in the college ranks, how can we expect our young people to really flourish when they do look up and they don't see enough people that look like them?
2: Well, I think there are many who are doing very well, so I don't want to repeat that myth that all mm-hmm. black men who go to, you know, pros are, you know, bankrupt and broke and beating up their wives and girlfriends. Uh, that is a myth. That's an absolute myth. Now, are some of them having difficulties? Absolutely. Just like most Americans. When you jump into that, not six-figure, but seven-figure incomes, and you look at the research, there are a lot of people who struggle with that. Because if they came from a household where you had, you know, less than $50,000 and now all of a sudden you're making $5 million, that's a different dynamic, and it requires different skills and having different people close to you. And so I'm not here to pick on that, that rich black athlete, but yes, there is some more work that needs to be done. There's more education that needs to be done. I think that you know we're in a situation where we have more access to people who are willing to help, who have education, who have data, who can clear things up. Uh, we have more schools and colleges who are willing to say that there are answers outside of our campus and that we need to go talk to people, we need to create partnerships, and we don't have to be the ones that are so guarded, you know, that it's only our way. We're the only ones who can speak to a particular matter.
3: You know, it's funny, and I, I want to get this last question out before I pivot to something else, but of late, we're seeing prominent Black athletes, basketball players, openly discuss the possibility of going to HBCUs um, because of what is going on and wanting to maybe keep their talents within the community. What do you think about that idea of young athletes committing to going to historically black colleges and universities? I think it's a positive move, but I'm a realist
2: and it's not gonna happen in large waves. I know this system and I know the attractiveness, the carrots of playing at a major university. HBCUs are challenged, funding-wise. And so you're not going to have the same resources. You're just not, and that's a fact. And so a lot of young people, when they've got the thoughts of, you know, maybe a year I could be in the NFL or the NBA, then I want to have the best facilities, the best strength and conditioning, the best nutrition possible to prepare myself. So what I propose is that to help HBCUs, Again, it's great if you sign with an HBCU. But at the very least, have an HBCU in your final five. And so that way, the cameras, the media, other coaches, other organizations will learn about a Hampton. They'll learn about a Howard, a North Carolina A&T, a North Carolina Central. They'll learn about a Florida A&M. So more people in our country will know about these very, very important institutions that are doing yeoman's work right from day one when they were established because white colleges and universities did not allow blacks to attend. And so just put them in your finalist pool, even though you probably will end up at a major power five school. So that's my thought on that.
3: So now I wanna pivot and, and talk about young ladies and young ladies in sports and kind of making the rise because I do believe sometimes on campus, we don't talk enough about the contributions that young ladies make to the athletic programs and the challenges that they face on campus. When you interact with young people who have followed your footsteps and play athletics, what are some of the challenges that they face when they step on the campus?
2: We know that, and I know people don't like to talk about it, but we do have a crisis on our college campuses around sexual assault. And so, you know, the female athlete, and I think, you know, this this is consistent with the research as well, that many, many business leaders who are female, played sports. And could it be the competitiveness, the teamwork, the drive, the persistence, the discipline, all those wonderful lessons that are taught. But you're much more confident on a college campus. And so female athletes can help their girlfriends, their buddies in terms of, you know what? It's time to leave the frat party. Or no, you're not going upstairs, right? Or don't let that guy talk to you that way. And so I think that's important role that female athletes can play. Another challenge, of course, just like the guys, is scheduling, because the demands are just as strong. Even though you know there isn't necessarily a pro hockey team in the field hockey team that you can play for in the United States, but you have lots of lots of pressure, and especially in the Power Five schools because they're all competing, you know, for the championships as well, and so. Hmm, should I major in this or should I major in that? If I major in this other subject matter, then I can do uh, more work athletically. And so they're still trying to figure out how to manage themselves. I won't say manage time. We can't manage time. We can manage ourselves in terms of the academic majors. I would say another part is, you know, taking care of the body. You know, we have lots of uh, research around, you know, eating behaviors and how that affects athletes as well you know, putting the right nutrition in our bodies, what's, you know, what's too much sugar, you know, we have all these crazy diets out there. And I think for most athletes, they're getting the proper information in terms of that is something that you don't want to do. It is important for you to have protein, right? It's important for you to eat carbs and fats, right? All these things are important, but there's so much misinformation out there that it
3: confuses a lot of young people. You know, recently, we have seen more women make headway in terms of positions of power in athletics. Not only in the coaching ranks, but in athletic administration, uh, we're beginning to see it filter into other sports that weren't traditionally pathways for women. Football, we're beginning to see more female scouts and administrators. What do you believe has been kind of the cause of the impetus for the rise of women in athletics in terms of going to positions of power? Results. People want results and they want the best person
2: regardless of your gender, your sexual orientation. And so that's why we're seeing more men who have the courage to say, I want her. Even though it doesn't look right, it goes against tradition, I want women. I'm really happy about uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mm-hmm. and the women that they have. And we're talking about coaches, not carrying the clipboard and, you know and yeah. taking pictures, coaching. We've got Carla Williams you know, the first uh, female athletic director at a Power Five school at Virginia, running the athletic department. You know, we have NBA, Players Association, being run by a woman. And so I think people want results. And there's no doubt that women have been managing everything from the household, from raising children, you know, the epitome of uh, multitasking. Even though the research is saying multitasking is not necessarily good, but there's no doubt that women have done a great job of trying to, you know, make a way out of nowhere. And so I'm very, very pleased to see that. Uh, we're starting to see more women, you know, run universities, major universities, but bottom line, people want results and women deliver.
3: You know, it's, it's it's interesting you talk about bottom line and results. Can we talk a little bit about what diversity brings when you're sitting at the top level, meaning not just diversity of race and ethnicity and gender, but just having a a kaleidoscope of people that are sitting at the table when decisions are made, why is that important to have various perspectives?
2: Well, when you're trying to solve something, you want as many perspectives, theories, thoughts as possible. If you walk into a room, into an organization or a team, and everybody looks like you, and everybody has the same background, pretty strong that you're not going to have a good solution. You might have one that makes everybody happy, right? Because everybody is, you know, thinking the same. But in terms of actually affecting change and bringing about the best possible result, odds are you're working from a deficit. And so that's why it's important to have diversity. Diversity of thought, diversity of background, experience. And generally that comes with working with people who don't necessarily look like you who don't necessarily speak your same language, who might not have grown up in the same hometown or gone to the same schools. And so that's why we always want to think about diversity, meaning variety. You know, I don't like the phrase, you know, melting pot because we know what happens when we melt things and who gets melted. I believe in a salad bowl where every piece of that salad bowl brings value. Whether it's the lettuce, whether it's the radish, whether it's tomatoes, the onions, the sunflower seeds, the cucumbers, everything brings value. And so that's why I think diversity is important.
3: Yeah, um, it's interesting. Like um, you and I have talked offline about coaching high school ball and being around young people and just the different backgrounds, not only racial and ethnic, but socioeconomic backgrounds and why it's so important to have, as you say, the salad bowl when it comes to it. And looking at your personal rise from a professional standpoint, you have been able to really do some unique things. Founder of the Center of Sports and Business Athletics. Let's talk about some of your own personal accomplishments. And what are some of the things that you're most proud of that you've been able to put your hands on?
2: You have to pause on that one. You know, (laughs) you know, as I age and I'm cleaning out my house now and making space. You know, what's that whole big movement about Simplify? Yeah. I found so many articles and uh, conferences and pictures of things that I've experienced. And I guess because of my nature just to go to the next and to the next, I haven't paused a lot. And I was thinking, it's like, wow, I've really done some interesting things, some fascinating things. I've met some incredible people. You know, I played golf at Sawgrass, you know, and got a birdie. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and I was like, wow, it's been a pretty cool, pretty cool journey. Uh, But being, you know, having an entrepreneurial mindset is, is a lot of fun because even though you work in an organization, you're charting your own path and you're building teams. And so I have many, many teams that I've been a part of or I had the opportunity to lead that have been a great blessing to me. You know, I think about the Carolina Sport Business Club, you know, one of the most popular clubs on campus and being a part of re-energizing that. It was just myself and one student, Chris Crawley. And now it's just an amazing uh, group of uh, young students who've been able to connect with one another, collaborate with one another, and go off to great jobs in the sport industry. You know, I think about the Center of Sport Business and Analytics, uh, having a Basketball Analytics Summit where I'm talking to some of the brightest minds from all over the world and being able to share that. That's been a blessing. I think about, you know, being a part of a sorority you know, the divine nine, being a part of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. And the Ooh, sister- okay. <laughs> so the, the women all across the country that I've been able to connect with, and just a beautiful sisterhood. I think about my basketball family in so many respects. From University of Virginia, some of my closest sisters to this day, and understanding that Virginia tree. From uh, John Swafford, who's the commissioner of the ACC, we first met at, at Virginia and how he's been able to pour into my life and and help. And I think about coming to Chapel Hill and, I mean, the epitome of basketball and being able to, you know, coach alongside Jennifer Alley and Coach Dean Smith and Coach Roy Williams, who's now, you know, the head coach. Thinking about all the athletes at at Carolina that I've been able to work with. The college football playoff, you know, being a part of that team uh, under the leadership of Michael Kelly, who used to be the deputy commissioner for football for the ACC. He invited me to come and bring a group of students and he's moved on. He's an athletic director now, but continuing that relationship. So it's been an amazing journey and I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished yet, but thank you for asking.
3: No, it's been a fantastic journey. And I'm sure that your listeners are excited about all the many things that you've been able to do the way that you're able to influence young people, the way that you're able to have what I would consider these tough conversations on the intersection of race and sports. Dr. Stroman, it's been a fantastic conversation. Any final thoughts before we wrap?
2: Well, I wanna thank you. You know, I think it's tough to kind of have the spotlight shown on myself. (laughs) I just wanna talk about you and all your amazing accomplishments, but you know, it's all about connecting with people. You know, I tell my students all the time, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you on a favorable basis. Because you can have a stack of business cards, the old Rolodex and all of that. But if people ask you know, for help, who's going to show up? And it's because you have a favorable relationship with them. So I thank you for this time. I thank you for being with me today. And uh, let's keep moving it forward.
3: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on and allowing me to play the lead role for once.
2: Thank you, keep it's been exhausting. That was Dr.
1: Debbie Stroman with Bucky Brooks. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence and is brought to you by thediversitymovement.com. Intro and outro music for this episode is from Soteria, and you can find more of her music at iamsoteria.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman.